This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08, just about. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. First up today, a look into what we know so far about the Elmina tragedy. Yes, so um, it is, in fact, in all of the headlines, an aircraft carrying six passengers and two uh, crew members crashed near the Elmina township in Shalam yesterday afternoon. There were a total of 10 victims in the crash, eight in the plane. The other two were actually a motorcyclist and a motorist um, who passed away uh, due to the crash along the Guthrie Corridor Expressway. Now, this is, in fact, the second time that a tragedy um, involving an aircraft has happened in Elmina. The first was a plane crash in September 27, 1977. It involved Japan Airlines Flight 715. Um, Now, in this particular incident, that aircraft that crashed uh, actually departed from Langkawi International Airport at 2.08pm and was heading to Subang. But at about 2.47pm, the aircraft first made, uh, made first contact with the Subang Air Traffic Control Tower. They gave the aircraft landing clearance. Uh, But then at 2.51, the control tower saw plumes of smoke originating along the aircraft's flight path. There was, and this is something um, that has been highlighted, there was no mayday call made from the plane. Um, and that said, the Shalam Police Command Centre received a distress call at 2.55 uh, um, about a plane crash along Guthrie. So... Immediately, there was a search and rescue mission, right? The Kuala Lumpur Aeronautical Rescue Coordination Centre was activated. Police blocked off the area. The fire and rescue department battled the flames. Um, And so I think this has captured public attention for a lot of reasons, uh, not least of which it's a tragic loss of life. But there are also so many questions that remain unanswered. Uh, These are, of course, very early days in terms of the investigation and what we know. But because it was deadly, because it happened near a township, because it was near places of residence, you know, I think that there just are concerns that have come up as a result of that. Now, What we know so far, um, the aircraft was a Beechcraft Model 390 Premier 1. It was operated by Jet Jet Valley, uh, which is a KL-based company operating out of Subang Airport. It's a six-seater. It was deemed airworthy by the Civil Aviation Authority of Malaysia. But there are reports that this is the fifth time uh, that an air crash in Malaysia has involved this type of model in 46 years. So there were two flight crew members on uh, on the aircraft. The first was Sharul Kamal Roslan, who was the pilot in command. The second uh, was Haikal Aras Abdul Azim, uh, second in command. Uh, there were also six passengers on board. Datuk Sri Johari Harun, actually, uh, the assemblyman for the Pelangi State Constituency in Pahang, um, as well as the State Local Government Housing, uh, Environment and Green Technology Exco member, um, as well as his personal assistant, Idris Abdul Talib, um, alias Ramali. And then there were other passengers as well who... Um, have passed away. As of yesterday, all 10 bodies from the crash site, including six passengers, two flight crew members and those two motorists have been recovered. So in terms of investigation and where we're at, uh, the cockpit voice recorder was also recovered from the crash and is being processed by the Air Accident Investigation Bureau. So those are the facts as we know them. And we are very shortly going to be speaking with somebody who is an expert in this area just to 
try and understand um, what we can glean from the information thus far. We are asking you, though, have you been following the story? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we will shortly be joined by Associate Professor Major Dr. Mohammad Haridon, Head of uh, Aviation Search and Rescue at the University Kuala Lumpur Malaysian Institute of Aviation Technology. So keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Business, finance and more. BFM 89.9. It is 5.13 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. And we're talking today about the tragedy that is the Elmina air crash. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Have you been following this story? Um, do you have questions that you'd like to ask perhaps? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now, we have Associate Professor Major Dr. Mohamed Haridon. Head of Aviation Search and Rescue at the University Kuala Lumpur Malaysian Institute of Aviation Technology. Uh, Dr. Haridon, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for, very much for having me. So, uh, firstly, what has been the reaction within the aviation industry to this uh, tragic accident? Um, we're actually appalled and also surprised with regards to the uh, tragedy that happened. It, it shouldn't have happened. Uh, we know that uh, safety is the utmost important point and the other most important um, parameters in aviation. Uh, we go through safety check all the time and there, there would always be a comprehensive uh, safety evaluation upon the aircraft and also upon the crew member and also upon the cargo that is loaded upon the aircraft. So I think we are surprised, um, but we have to go through uh, this uh, pre-nomination as well. And uh, I think uh, the investigation will tell us what will be the main cause or the primary cause uh, of the crash. Now, it's of course very early on in the investigations, but are there any details so far that stand out to you or could shed some light on what happened? There are many conjectures and also postulations with regards to the um, cause of the air crash. Um, if you take a look at the uh, eyewitness account, the video account, uh, we showed that the aircraft had turned um, at a certain angle and had dived uh, towards the ground. Uh, we can see that, uh, that that's probably is tall upon the engine and one engine has stalled and that has caused uh, the orientation of the aircraft to turn. Uh, there's also a possibility of the uh, injection of a non-thrust upon the engine, meaning that there will be a foreign object debris that will be uh, incited upon the engine or a bird strike that will stall the engine. Uh, there's also the possibility of imbalance of the aircraft, probably the loading or the or the uh, center of gravity of the aircraft is not within the uh, safety envelope of the uh, OEM that was designed and, and that was uh, prescribed by the OEM, the original equipment <coughs> manufacturer. But all of these are possible conjectures, uh, possible postulation, but we have to go through the uh, concrete evidences, the valid evidences for us to uh, verify all of this postulation. So a fair amount has been made of how there was no Mayday call. Can you talk to us about why this is significant? Um, during any emergency case, pilots would go through the rule of thumb, which is ANC. You aviate first, then you navigate, then only you communicate. So I think the, the span 
the time span uh, during the emergency situation is quite short. So the first thing the pilot has to do is to aviate the aircraft, to control the aircraft so that it would not spiral downwards so that uh, the aircraft would be balanced uh, in, in terms of the uh, flight orientation. Then only you navigate. Navigate means that you go to the uh, preferred destination. For example, the landing field where you feel that it is safe to land the aircraft. Then only you communicate any pertinent uh, information to the air traffic controller and information which is valid uh, to the emergency case. So, so we go to the sequence, the ANC sequence, uh, very thoroughly. So you need to follow that sequence and need to be uh, proper in uh, going through all the, the flight parameters. So, so I think uh, perhaps the Mayday call was not made because uh, the pilots would be uh, very busy and very intense in trying to aviate and also navigate the aircraft. So you've actually put forward some possible explanations for the sudden crash. Could you talk us through some of the po- uh, potential scenarios? Uh, some of the potential scenario would be the uh, center of gravity will be outside the safety envelope. When you design the aircraft, the aircraft uh, always have uh, the uh, center of gravity within the fuselage of the aircraft. And uh, the center of gravity uh, would be uh, within a designated length of the fuselage of the aircraft. And if you go beyond that, um, the aircraft will be imbalanced. So we, we need to put that center of gravity back into the safety envelope, which is prescribed by the uh, design uh, of the manufacturer. Uh, so that, that's just a postulation. We need to take a look at the cargo manifest. We need to take a look at what actually happened uh, through the visual uh, uh, visual connection that we have. And also uh, the flight uh, data recorder, uh, which, uh, which has been stated that it was not installed upon the aircraft. So that will be a hard choice. There will be a very, very difficult uh, analysis upon the crash because the FDR is not available. Well, what is available is the copy of us recorder. So we would know uh, what will be the discussion discussed uh, during the, uh, during the um, premonition of the several minutes of the crash and what will happen, what was transpired among the crew member uh, during the premonition of the crash. So there are reports that this is the fifth accident in Malaysia to have involved uh, this type of aircraft. What can you tell us about this? Well, looking at a statistical count, um, the type of aircraft would be Beechcraft, but the earlier aircraft that were involved in the uh, air incident uh, would be propeller aircraft. So the variants are not the same. So even though the type of the aircraft is the same, which is the Beechcraft, but, but the variants and the power plan of each of these aircraft are not similar. If you look at the previous cases, uh, the power plant would be a propeller aircraft. So it's actually quite quite distinct uh, from uh, the turbofan aircraft of the jet. Uh, so the thrust would be different. Uh, the jet has much bigger thrust than the propeller aircraft. So if we, if we make a uh, correlation analysis, the distinction between uh, these five incidents that you have here in Malaysia, uh, it, it's not that heavy distinction. Uh, because we have different types of aircraft, we have different different variants and different thrusts um, omitted by the aircraft. So, so I think we need to go through what would be the uh, heaviest correlation analysis uh, among this type of aircraft. And then we can only make a, a concrete postulation based upon that. The aircraft was deemed airworthy by the Civil Aviation Authority of Malaysia. What goes into this, into determining whether an aircraft is fit for use? The aircraft is actually a foreign registered aircraft, is unregistered, meaning that it's registered under the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration of the United States. 
for for this type of aircraft, a uh, foreign type of aircraft, uh, to operate in Malaysia, they need to give uh, several pertinent documentation uh, to the Civil Aviation Authority of Malaysia. Uh, one of the documentation is the certificate of airworthiness of the aircraft, which denotes that the aircraft is airworthy and that it is safe to fly. So they need to put forward that documentation to the CAM, uh, which tells the CAM that um, the aircraft is 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 good in 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 its uh, condition. Uh, the condition is very viable to be to be flown here in Malaysia. The other one is certificate of registration and also the the documentation with regards to the insurance of the aircraft. So. CAA will go through all of those documentation and they will make evaluation of the state of the aircraft, uh, whether it's airworthy or not to be flown here in Malaysia. And uh, information that should be parlayed to the uh, CAA would also would be the origin of the airport uh, during the flight of the uh, flight of the airplane and also the destination of the airport during the flight of the airplane as well. So. Are smaller aircrafts more susceptible to accidents and malfunction in comparison to larger commercial aircrafts? In in some situations, in some cases, yes, uh, because um, they are much more sensitive. Uh, for example, if we take a Cessna, we take a Piper, they are, they are much more sensitive uh, to the wind condition. If we have uh, 20 knots of wind, of course, there, there would be very much grave uh, to the uh, flight operation of the aircraft and we compare that with the 20 knots of wind uh, to a much bigger aircraft, the Airbus or the Boeing, uh, it won't be much sensitive or susceptible uh, to that kind of environment because they are much lighter. If you have uh, torrential rain, then they will be affected by this factor uh, in contrast to uh, big commercial aircraft like uh, Airbus and Boeing. And also they are uh, susceptible to the wind factor as well. If you have wind gusts, if you have vacuum, if you have void at certain areas of the pathway of the flight, uh, they will be susceptible to that uh, as compared to um, commercial aircraft, uh, bigger commercial aircraft uh, as Boeing or Airbus, where they are not susceptible that much to the gust of the wind, even though you can actually uh, in, uh, be uh, intact uh, be within the time frame or within the weather frame uh, of the gas or the wind, but uh, the, the, the tolerances are there. Now, the cockpit voice recorder is currently being processed by the Air Accident Investigation Bureau. What information will the authorities be hoping to get from this? Well, um, one of the first rules uh, in aviation is that we need to have a clean cockpit conversation, meaning that when you approach or do a landing, the, the conversation the conversation should be with regards to the landing approach, should be with regards to the uh, workload of the pilot, uh, should be with regards to what will be the checklist uh, that will be appropriate uh, to be actuated during the flight, uh, during the landing phase. Uh, so they would actually pinpoint what will be the conversation between the crew members at that particular time during the landing phase. Uh, landing phase is a very, very crucial phase where you go through many aspects of a checklist, and the con conversation should be upon the checklist and should be upon what will be the workload to be actuated by the pilot. So, so you, you can't have any uh, conversation which is outside of the workload. So they will go through that and they would also pinpoint what are the anomalies that existed. Probably these anomalies uh, would be uh, ping between this pilot. They would probably converse among themselves. These are the anomalies that occur at that split second moment during the flight. So they could pinpoint or extract that 
and make a mapping of the conversation and, and try to figure out what actually happened. And what other points of information will be used for the investigations? Uh, the point of a conversation would be uh, what are the resources available by the pilot who who actually aviate the aircraft, who actually navigate the aircraft, and did they go through the checklist at that split moment? But I think that would be um, pro- probably um, unpredictable um, actions taken by the pilot because it, it would be a split-second emergency situation. Uh, but they, they would like to know uh, before the incident, perhaps five or six minutes, uh, before the incident, is there any conversation with regards to the anomalies of the system? Or would there be any alarm uh, being tipped off uh, during the five minutes before the crash? Uh, so they will go through the conversation and we'll find out with regards to that. So do you think this uh, incident will have any impact on the industry's approach to regulations around safety moving forward? I think it would because we have a foreign registered aircraft that is operated in Malaysia. So I think perhaps CAM would be much more stringent in giving permission for foreign aircraft uh, to be flown here in Malaysia. So I think much more documentation would then be um, would then be acquired uh, by the CAM uh, for this for foreign aircraft uh, to be flown here in Malaysia. I think that that, that there's always an evolution uh, after each and every uh, air crash. Uh, if you see an uh, air crash uh, 20 or 30 years ago, you can see that there's always an evolution of the rules and regulation. It, it will be much more stringent. And it must. it's also based upon the evolution of the technology. We have analog aircraft, uh, classical, which were uh, actually born by the classical aircraft 30 or 40 years ago. And then the evolution towards digital aircraft. So with that digitalization of aircraft, the rules and regulation and procedures also change so that uh, we can take uh, take part and take a breath uh, with, with this uh, changing of the evolution of technology so that uh, the environment of the aviation will be much safer. Prof, thank you for speaking with us today. All right, thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. That was Associate Professor Major Dr. Mohamed Haridon, Head of Aviation Search and Rescue at the University Kuala Lumpur Malaysia Institute of Aviation Technology, speaking to us about the recent air crash um, in Elmina. And we are asking you for your thoughts. Uh, if you've been following the story, let us know. You can call 7733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. You're listening to the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.